God doesn't have to take you to the jungles of Brazil. He doesn't have to take you to the savanna of Africa. You can be used of God right here, specifically in New Westminster, B.C. right now, or in Burnaby, B.C., or in Coquitlam, or in Port Coquitlam, or Surrey. Where's home? Pitt Meadows. Anybody else home that I have not listed where you live? Okay, everybody's city has been listed. God can use you where he has you. And we ought to be actively looking to be used of God where he has us. And don't, don't, get, don't, don't develop a mindset even like I had as a young person that I can only be used of God if I go someplace. Or if I go here. Or if I go out. You know, and go out someplace where they don't have the Bible, where they don't have the gospel, where there are no churches. Don't develop that mindset because God wants us to reach our Jerusalem. The Great Commission is here in our Jerusalem, into Judea, our surrounding cities, into Samaria, to the people we don't like, right? Because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus was telling his disciples, who were all Jews, I want you to go to these Samaritans, and I want you to tell them about me. Oh, Jesus, we don't like the Samaritans. No, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. God has specifically called myself, my wife, and our son to Uganda. That's where, God's, that's where God has us. I feel awkward being back even in the United States or even here in Canada. Because at this point now, God has, it, it's still coming, it's still coming slowly, 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 and pora, and pora. But God has already developed a love and a desire for me personally to be in Uganda. Like that's where I feel is home. Leaving and coming back, it's, I, I'm so thankful that the money was provided for our family to be able to come back and to be able to be with my family and have a, have some days with, with my mother-in-law. It has been great. But even getting on that airplane and leaving the Entebbe International Airport and realizing that this is the last time I'm going to sweat for like three weeks, you know? Seeing, seeing the darkness, the literal darkness of the sun is down and there's very limited lights and you know, leaving behind our home and the people who we have already grown to love and our friends and, you know, that's where God has me. But God has you here. So what are you doing in the place where God has you? How are you using the talents that God has given you in the place that God has you right now in British Columbia? <laughs> well, I'm waiting for God to open up another door for me. The door is open right here. The door is wide open for, for many different ministry opportunities and things to get involved in. And one way that every church member can be involved in is the prayer ministry and the missions ministry. Everybody in the church can be involved in that. Doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, everybody can get involved in those things. Seeing, hey, can I get involved in the sound ministry? Can I get involved as being an usher or a greeter? Can I be involved in the nursery and patch club? Be willing to stretch yourself. Be willing to step out of a comfort zone and be used of God right where he has you, in your place. I can't be used of God anymore here. 
I mean, hopefully tonight for the next 30 minutes. That's my prayer. But this is no longer my home. This is no longer, I no longer call 8134 11th Avenue my home, my place of residence, 1236 Hornby. I haven't even, I've never lived on Harvard Drive. This is no longer my home. God has called me someplace else. I have another place of residence where prayerfully God continues to use me there. But God has you here. So be willing to be stretched, be willing to come out of your comfort zone, and be willing to get more involved. Increase your involvement in the New Testament local church. Psalms chapter number 78, verse number 37. Psalms 78 and verse number 37. The Bible says, For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. But he, God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. Tonight, for the next few moments, I'd like to speak on the topic entitled, How to Limit an Unlimited God. How to Limit an Unlimited God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time we have. I pray that I would not waste it anymore. I pray that you would use me as I speak. I pray that it would be your words, your spirit would be speaking through me. I pray that something that's said would be a help. Someone here tonight, in whatever stage of life they are in, whatever trials and difficulties they're going through, you know what everyone is going through tonight. Even the silent requests and the things that cannot be spoken, you know what's going on, and I pray that maybe there'd be something that someone could latch onto and grab onto and use as encouragement and exhortation, maybe even reproving and rebuking even this week as they go into their work and studies and life we pray that everything that's said and done would bring honor and glory to your name in jesus name amen when you are cooking and if you want something to cook faster over the stovetop or in uganda we have something called a sagiti if you are cooking if you want something to cook faster you're going to keep the pot over the open flame over the the stove top, you're not going to remove it. If you remove it while it's starting to boil, you will limit the ability of the water boiling or the food beginning to cook. When a marathon runner is getting prepared for his race day, he will wear the lightest possible clothing so he does not limit his speed and endurance. You're not going to see any marathon runners wearing a suit jacket and trousers, pants, trousers, uh, and church shoes, you're not going to see a marathon runner running with these. He's going to be wearing things that are as light as possible and streamlining his speed as possible. In a marriage, you will limit the quality of your marriage if you have the wrong perspective or if you do not have humility or if you do not learn how to properly communicate with your spouse. Students will limit their ability to learn if they are not studying on their own and doing the homework assignments. And in Psalm 78, Asaph gives us a very vivid account 
of the Israelites' fluctuating relationship with Almighty God. In the beginning of the chapter, for me, a page back, we see the emphasis is placed on the fathers in verse number 3. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. And this is in reference to verse number 1 and 2. Verse number 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Fathers, how are you doing in the home? How am I doing in the home as a dad? Are we raising our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are we doing a good job as a father? In verses 4 through 7, they made a pledge, their fathers made a pledge that they would tell their children about the goodness of God. In verse number 8, we see that the generations after the forefathers were a stubborn and rebellious generation. In verse number 9, Asaph is now directly talking about the children of Ephraim or the tribe of Ephraim. And this week, if you want to, with your time in Genesis 48, we are given the account of Jacob blessing his two grandsons from Joseph. Specifically, Ephraim is assigned the privileges of the firstborn, even though he was not the firstborn. However, Ephraim failed to honor his privileges that he was given by his grandfather. In Judges 8, the children of Ephraim chided with the man of God. They questioned the man of God, Gideon, because they were not asked to fight in the battle against Midian. Gideon reminded them that they were cowards and that they did not have courage. You can read this in Judges chapter number 8. Ephraim was known as they didn't want to go to war. They didn't want to fight for what God had given them. They didn't want to fight for their families. And Gideon knew this, and in the wisdom of God, he took those 300 men that had been dwindled down and whittled down, and by faith, Gideon went and won the battle against Midian. But Ephraim was like, Gideon, why didn't you come and ask us for help? Come on, we could have helped you. And Gideon reminded them that they were cowards. In Hosea 5, we see that the prophet Hosea preached that Ephraim had committed whoredom. And due to their cowardice, they failed to drive out the heathen, and thus they were now worshiping idols. Because they failed at the beginning of what they were supposed to do in taking a stand for righteousness and truth, because they failed to do it at the beginning, now they had opened up the door to the idols of the world and intermarrying with the world and worshiping the heathen idols because they failed in the beginning. They were rejecting the commandments and covenant that God had made with Israel, which is found in Exodus chapter number 23 and verse 24. But beginning in verse number 12 of Psalm 78, we see a record of God's provisions for his people despite their constant sin and failure to follow his commandments. Look at verse number 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. In verse number 13, God divided the Red Sea. In verse number 14, God provided the cloud by day and the fire by night. In verse 15 and 16, he provided water from the rock. In verse number 17, Israel sinned more against him. In verse 18, they tempted God or tested God by asking him for meat. In verse number 19 and 20, they doubted God's power by asking, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Does God really have the ability to supply for his children even in the midst of the wilderness? In verse number 21, they angered God. In verse 22 to 29, the cause for his anger was due to the fact that they doubted him. And they doubted him despite his salvation that was provided with the clouds, the manna, and the quail. 
These were all things that they saw and they witnessed and they experienced. In verse 30, they lusted after the quail or they were gluttonous with their food. Well, that's a little bit convicting coming back to first world Canada and those quarter pounders are just so tempting. I think I've already had three or four in just a week and a half. I'm just admitting my gluttony. Mm. That's personal conviction right there. In verse 31, God killed the ones who were gluttonous. In verse 32, even though they saw how God was dealing with the sin, they still sinned more. They did not believe his wondrous works. Verse number 32, for all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. In verse 33, they wasted God's time and their own time by seeking forgiveness only to then fall back into the same sin after a short time. In verses 34 and 35, when he would judge the sin, they would return to him and actually seek his face. Briefly, they would remember his works and power. But in verse number 36, they made false promises. Their actions spoke much louder than their words. Look at verse number 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth, and they lied unto him with their tongue. In verse 37, they had unconfessed sin that was affecting their fellowship with God. They were not even solid in his covenant or in their doctrine. They did not fully believe what God had already given them in the covenant, the law, Specifically the Ten Commandments, but the rest of the law that was given in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they were not strong in it. They were not faithful in what God had told them, this is how we are supposed to live. In verse 38, God still had compassion on them. God's forgiveness was never ending. In verse 39, man's time on earth is just like a wind that passes through and then it is gone. James tells us life is like a vapor. It appeareth for a minute and vanishes the next. In verse 39, verse 40, they backslid many times and this sin was a grieving pain to God. And then verse number 41, they limited God. The Hebrew word for limited is the word tava, which means to pain emotionally. It's interesting that the King James translators decided to use the English word limited despite using similar words for painting emotionally in verse number 40. I believe that the King James translators did this for a very, a very good reason, a very biblical reason sticking close to the original meaning of the word. This pain, this tava, it had pained, it pained God and it had grieved him. And it was, he was grieved because he knew that his power and his abilities were being limited. And we serve an unlimited God. We serve an omnipotent God. And it's the same God that the Israelites serve in this passage. That's the same God that we serve. The same God who provided a ram in the thicket for Abraham when he had Isaac on the altar. That's the same God that we serve. The same God, the same God whose son came down in the fiery furnace. The fourth was as of the son of God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down when the music began to play, that's the same God that we serve in 2023. I think sometimes we think that the God of Bible days was different. He was just, he was a different God. And he had different provision. And he had different abilities. And then he was omnipotent. Now he's not so omnipotent. We better be very careful with where our, where our, where, where our focus lies 
as a Christian. We should stay focused on the omnipotence of God and the all-knowingness, the omniscience of God. And God has many things that he wants to do for Anchor Baptist Church. It's just getting started. 22 years in, and if the Lord tarries his coming, I believe God still has a lot more for ABC. But are we going to limit him? Am I limiting God? Colossians 1.16, Paul told the church at Colossae, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That's the God we serve. 1 Chronicles 29.11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. That's the Lord we serve. Psalms 28, 7, David writes, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him. We serve a powerful God who has the ability to protect us from the enemy, provide for our daily needs, pardon us from our sins, perfect us or complete us through his son Jesus Christ, prosper us in our Christian life, and someday promote us to our heavenly home. But just as Israel did, we sometimes will limit our unlimited God. Number one, how did they do that? By forgetting all that God had done for them. By forgetting all that God had done for them. Psalm 78, 42 says, They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. They just forgot about what God had done for them. I think a big reason why they forgot, and this is just from reading it and understanding maybe a little bit of the context of Psalm 78, is the fathers didn't do their job. And being a father, I look at that as now, okay, this is now a personal example then for me. This is something that directly applies to me as a father. The fathers were charged and tasked with the responsibility of passing down what God had taught them. And then they pass it down to their sons, and as they grow, now they're fathers, they pass it down to their sons, and so forth. But somewhere along the line, there was a spirit of forgetfulness, a spirit of laziness, not doing the job that we as fathers were supposed to do. How quick it was that the devil got into their thought life, though, and caused them to completely forget the amazing things that God had already done for them. They were ungrateful. They were ungrateful. Do we see anywhere in this passage where they were thankful for what God had done for them? Do, do we appreciate the goodness of God? Do we take time to thank God for what he has done for us? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it's already been alluded to tonight, and everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Number two, they lost their song. They forgot what God had done for them because they were ungrateful and they lost their song. There's no praising taking place in this chapter. People will forget about God if they stop singing about him. Exodus 15, 2 says, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Israel had just experienced a great victory of crossing that Red Sea on dry ground. And now, as we see in Exodus chapter number 15, Moses and Miriam begin to lead the children of Israel in a song of praise 
for what God had done for them. Have we lost our song tonight? Are we singing about God? Are we singing about Jesus around our home? Do we have good, godly Christian music playing at home? Not, not this, this Christian music that has the world's music and spiritual words. Where if we were to walk past a bar or we were to walk past an establishment where they have dancing and, and maybe activities that would not be something that a Christian should be participating in. And if we compared that to our Christian music with the beat and the rhythm and the way that the music makes us want to move, would it be the same? Are we listening to Christ-honoring music? I believe Israel completely lost their song. They also negatively impacted their children. Psalm 78, 19 says, Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can you imagine speaking against God in front of your children? Mocking God. Can God furnish a table? I mean, he, he parted the, the waters for us. He brought water from the rock. Once by speaking and once by, hitting the, once by hitting the rock, even though that's not what Moses was supposed to do. We've seen the manna. We've seen the quail. We've seen the pillar of fire and the cloud. But can God furnish a table in the wilderness? What kind of an effect will that have on our children? For Israel, it had a very negative impact. Our children will eventually forget about God's mighty works if we are constantly speaking against God. And the sad reality is that many Christian parents will hurt their children by outwardly doubting God and God's provision. May God help me personally to be a godly parent who is not doubting God's provision. We hurt our children by being ungrateful. We hurt our children when we lose our song. Most importantly, we grieve Almighty God with our forgetfulness. We limit his ability. Secondly, we limit him by being disobedient to his word. I see, first of all, a lack of faith. Numbers chapter number 13, verses 27 to 29. God had promised Abraham and the countless generations of Israelites that Canaan was their promised land. And now Moses is sending the 12 spies into the promised land to search the land and to see what God had already provided for them. God had already promised, this is your land. Canaan, this is your land. It's yours. But in Numbers 13, 27 to 29, and they told him and said, we came unto the land. These are the spies that have gone into Canaan. Joshua has sent out 12 spies to go and look out over the land and see, okay, what can we do? Where, where do we need to set up camp? Uh, let's go look at some of their walls and see what, what do we need to prepare for battle. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, mm, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Because of their lack of faith, they limited what God could have done in a much quicker time frame. Imagine 40 years now, it, the consequences of this not going in and taking, taking the land. Let's go, let's take it. It's ours. God's already given it to us. But these 10 spies, you know, Caleb and Joshua said, hey, this is good. Let's go do this. But the ten spies, the other ones were like, hey, these giants, these Anakites, 
Anak people and these Amalekites. And the walls, it's a little scary. It's a little intimidating. And because of their testimony, the majority, the testimony of these ten men, now an entire generation had to wander in a wilderness just right outside Canaan land. It was right there because of their lack of faith. Can you imagine the pain that this must have caused God? The tava, the emotional pain that must have caused God because he had already provided the victory. And they were doubting if God was actually able to keep his promises. Secondly, fear. Many Christians will never grow because they fear what could happen. Many Christians will never surrender their life to God because they fear what that might involve. Well, I might have financial problems. I might have people oppose me. I might have extra stress. I might have to leave my country. I might, I might face discouragement. I might go through unnecessary pain. I might face rejection from family. My children may also want to surrender their life to God. And Paul told a young pastor in Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We will grieve an almighty God when we fear what might be. We will limit the power of God when we allow fear to control our lives. Pride. Their will was more important than God's will. Their desires were more important than God's will. Their passions and wants were more important than God's will. God was just a secondary option in case things got bad. And that's why it took such great oppression and depression for them to then return back to God and ask for forgiveness. He was not the first option. He was on the, bo he was on the bottom shelf, not on the top shelf. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The Israelites limited God because they forgot about his mighty works. They limited, they limited God because they were disobedient to his word. But lastly, they limited God by putting other things before him. First of all, I see the idols that they put before God. Verse number 58 of Psalm 78. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. And moved him to jealousy with their graven images. An idol is anything or anyone that you or I would put in the place of God. Our family could become an idol. Our work could become an idol. Our entertainment could become an idol. Our music could become an idol. Our friends could become an idol. Our country or our culture could become an idol. Something that takes the place of God. Well, this is just the way that I've always done it. This is just the way that my family's always done it. This is just the way that my culture has always done this. Does it go against the word of God, though? Something that we are learning as foreign missionaries in a place where there is roughly 58 different cultures, 58 different tribes represented, 58 different languages represented in Uganda, is the trap we can fall into is we just go in there and we just preach our word. We go in there and we say, this is what Caleb Benjamin Turner is saying. Well, that's just your American or Canadian way of life. That's just, that's your culture. That's how you do things. Yeah, we have our culture. And something we've had to learn is from day one that it is not about an American culture. It's not about a Canadian culture. It's not about a Ugandan culture. 
It's about what the word of God says. And it's not going to be my words when I stand up and preach someday, Lord willing, in the language of Rutoro. It's going to be what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Because the Bible, the word of God, will not return void. It will accomplish God's will. So may we be very careful. May I be very careful that I do not put my way of life or my culture and the things that I participate in as in regards to my family or maybe where I came from ahead of Almighty God. May we be very careful that our activities do not conflict with God's house. We will limit the abilities of God by having idols in our life. But lastly, they put their apathy ahead of God. They put their apathy. Now that's, that's a big word. As a famous... As a famous 1960s television star once said, apathy. Hmm? What is apathy? A definition for apathy is a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, or a lack of concern. The children of Israel lost their enthusiasm after receiving their freedom from the bondage of Egypt. Oh, when they got out of Egypt, whew, mm, they were excited. Pumped up. And then as soon as, as soon as they saw the Egyptian army, ah! I mean, what happened to the hoopla as they were leaving Egypt and all the excitement and the Egyptians were coming out and giving them things like, get out, we don't want you here anymore. And there was, there was joy and excitement. And how quick they were to lose their enthusiasm. How quick they were to lose their interest in following God. They were no longer concerned about the future of their children. I think that has become a motivation, personally, is being concerned about my son and what his future is going to be. Being concerned about, Lord willing, if God allows us to have more children, we have two children in heaven. Being concerned about what decisions he's going to make as he's a child and as a youth and then when he gets out of the home i pray that he would still follow after god but that's going to be between him and god but i pray that the time that i have with him and the time that we have with him as a father and mother with our son carson my prayer is that i will have done everything possible that i can to make sure that i've that I'm, I'm interested, I am enthused, I am concerned about his life. I don't have a spirit of, of apathy for my son and his future. I pray that I always stay in church. I pray that I always stay in God's word. I pray that I always have good godly music going in our home. I pray that I stand strong on the word of God so that I would not develop a spirit of apathy like the Israelites had. Specifically, the fathers, as they failed to teach their children and train their children in the ways of the Lord. Because of that, now we see this cycle, this chain of going into idolatry, then seeking forgiveness, then going back into idolatry and back into forgiveness. Let's go to the book of Zephaniah as we conclude. Zephaniah chapter number 1. Habakkuk 
Nephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Zephaniah chapter number one. I don't want to limit the unlimited God that we serve. Zephaniah chapter number one, verse number 12. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. Ah. The men of Jerusalem, they had grown apathetic in their sin. They no longer cared that their sins were displeasing to God. Look, they say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. I just don't care anymore. Therefore, their goods shall become a spoil or a booty to some other nation. The enemies of God would come in and take their lands and their possessions and their houses a desolation. They shall also build houses, but now they're not living them anymore because the enemy's taken it over because they no longer care. They're no longer concerned. They shall plant vineyards, all this work, hard work and effort that they put in, but because they grew apathetic, about the things of God. They no longer were concerned about the things of God. They don't get to benefit from them. See, the Bible says that they were settled on their lees. I didn't know what that meant when I was looking this up, when I was putting these notes together. I had to look it up. When you have, because I don't want to just make up something, settled on their lees. How many of you ever had a watering can before? Watering can, watering can, watering can. Right, And maybe it's a watering can that for some reason you just haven't used in a long time. But you forgot to dump out all of the water. And so maybe there's, a, maybe there's even just this much of water in the bottom of the watering can. And how many of you, and it can be for any water container vessel, you know, that you have water in. But how many of you, when you've, when you've left that container, that jug, that watering can whatever it is for a period of time and then you come back to it and you notice at the bottom of the container there's there's a level of like sediment or dirt or maybe even at some point it, it even begins to form some mold at the bottom underneath the water and then when you pick it up and you kind of shake it up a little bit it you know it, it disperses and maybe even sometimes you can't really even see it once you've shaken it up it just kind of blends in with the watering can well, what had happened is Israel had grown so unconcerned and apathetic, they had become like the dirt at the bottom of a watering can. No movement, no life, no energy, no direction, no desire to be shaken, no desire to be used in God's power. They had settled on their lees. They had become as the dirt in the bottom of a watering can. Have we grown satisfied with where we are in our Christian life? Content with where we are? I believe the only right kind of discontentment is a Christian who's not content with where he is as a Christian. 
We should always be looking to increase our Christianity and increase our faith and grow as a Christian. I don't want to be content with where I am right now. I want to grow. I want to take steps forward. I don't want to be like the dirt in the bottom of a watering can. I don't want to be settled on my leaves. I don't want to have an apathetic, I just don't care attitude. Psalms 55, 19 says, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old. Because they have no changes, therefore they feel no change. Israel had been blessed by God. They had witnessed his mighty works, but they found a way to limit his plans. And I believe that Anchor Baptist Church has been blessed by God. I believe that we have seen many people, thousands of people saved here and tens of thousands of people saved around the world with our missions dollars. I believe that God has blessed Anchor Baptist Church just like God blessed Israel. But they, Israel, God's chosen people, found a way to limit his plans by forgetting his word, by disobeying his word, and by putting other things before him. Paul told the church at Corinth, in reference to the Lord's Supper, but I believe it applies to every area of our lives. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, for let a man examine the principle of self-examination on a daily basis. Do you serve a God who has time for himself? Does he have time for you to do the things that he wants you to do? 